have your Bibles, Exodus chapter 18. We're going to read 27 verses. So you could say, what did you do in church today? We heard the Word of God read, and then we're going to break it up and we're going to preach it. We're excited, 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 because this is the Word of God, and it is powerful and, and sharp, like a double-edged sword, and it changes us as we submit to the authority of this Word. And so we are, we are a church that believes in the Word of God. Exodus chapter 18, beginning with verses 1, we're going to go through verse 27. All right? Jethro, the priest of Midian, Moses' father-in-law, heard of all that God had done for Moses and for Israel, his people, how the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. Now Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, had taken Zipporah, Moses' wife, after he had sent her home, along with her two sons. The name of the one was Gershom, for he, had, for he said, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. And the name of the other, Eleazar, for he said, the God of my father was my help and delivered me from the sword of Pharaoh. Verse 5, Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, came with his sons and his wife to Moses in the wilderness where he was encamped at the mountain of God. And when he sent word to Moses... I, your father-in-law Jethro, am coming to you with your wife and her two sons with her. Moses went out to meet his father-in-law and bowed down and kissed him. And they asked, can you imagine that today? Like your father-in-law comes and you bow down and you kiss him. That would be weird, right? But that's what they did, all right? And they asked each other of the welfare and went into the tent. Then Moses told his father-in-law all that the Lord had done to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for Israel's sake, all the hardship that had come upon them in the way and how the Lord had delivered them. And Jethro rejoiced for all the good that the Lord had done to Israel in that he had delivered them out of the hand of the Egyptians. Jethro said, verse 10, Blessed be the Lord who has delivered you out of the hands of the Egyptians and out of the hand of Pharaoh and has delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all gods because in this affair they dealt arrogantly with the people. And Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, brought a burnt offering and sacrifices to God. And Aaron came with all the elders of Israel to eat bread with Moses' father-in-law before God. Verse 13, second part. The next day, Moses sat to judge the people, and the people stood around Moses from morning till evening. When Moses' father-in-law saw all that he was doing for the people, he said, what is this that you are doing for the people? Why do you sit alone and all the people stand around you from morning till evening? And Moses said to his father-in-law, because the people come to me to inquire of God. When they have a dispute, they come to me and I decide between one person and another and I make them known the statutes of God and his laws. Moses' father-in-law said to him, what you are doing is not good. You and the people with you will certainly wear yourselves out, for the thing is too heavy for you. You are not able to do it alone. Verse 19, now obey my voice. 
I will give you advice and God be with you. You shall represent the people before God and bring their cases to God, and you shall warn them about the statutes and the laws and make them know the way in which they must walk and what they must do. Verse 21, Moreover, look for able men from all the people, men who fear God, who are trustworthy and hate a bribe, and place such men over the people as chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens. And let them judge the people at all times. Every great matter they shall bring to you, but any small matter they shall decide amongst themselves. So it would be easier for you, and they will bear the burden with you. If you do this, God will direct you. You will be able to endure, and all this people also will go to their place in peace. Verse 24, so Moses listened to the voice of his father-in-law and did all that he had said. Moses chose able men out of all Israel and made them heads over the people, chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens. And they judged the people at all times. Any hard case they brought to Moses, but any small matters they decided themselves. Then Moses let the father-in-law depart, and he went away to his own country. <coughs> Excuse me. Good stuff, right? We get to read the word of God. Let's pray. God, teach us your word. Teach it to us. Let it be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Help us not to be hearers of the word only, but help us to be doers of the word. Help us to submit our lives and our desires to your word. For it is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. And we pray that in the hands of your Holy Spirit, you would use it to divide between our soul and spirit and our bone and our marrow. God, transform us. Conform us in the image of your Son, Jesus Christ. And as always, Lord God, let the words of my mouth and meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Exodus 18, two things here that we're going to look at. I remember years ago, I was a senior pastor, and my wife said to me, we've had a Savior for over 2,000 years, and you can't replace him. Because I was working 12, 15-hour days trying to work this church. And the reality was, she was right, I couldn't. And it was a good reminder of this. And Moses' father-in-law gives Moses some unsolicited advice to him. See, I believe that here in Exodus chapter 18, God wants to say something to us. And it's not that we need to be doing more, it's that we need to be doing what God wants us to be doing. I think balance in life is an illusion. I feel like life is more like a mobile, where like you're under the crib, you know those little mobiles? Oh. And the little baby goes, ah. You know what I'm talking about? I feel like that's, that's more like life. And then it kind of settles down, but then like you barely touch it, and then the whole thing goes, ah. You know, and the kid goes, ah. Right? I feel like that's more like life. I feel like balance is an illusion. People that seek balance, you can watch a good kung fu movie and learn about balance, but you learn balance and it's this idea of kind of everything in your life is supposed to be 
stable on this tightrope. See, I don't think that's true in life. I think God calls his children to be centered, not balanced. And what do I mean by that? When Christ is at the center of our lives, when we are in Christ, as the Apostle Paul says, then we are becoming, God's conforming us, Romans 8, 28, 29, 30, conforming us into the image of his son, Jesus Christ. So we live from the inside out, okay? It's Christ in us, living through us, so that we can do all the things that God has called us to do, okay? So at Coastal, we don't want you to do things for God, okay? God has things for you to do, but that needs to come out of who you are. We're called to develop authentic followers of Jesus Christ, which means it's based upon who we are, not what we do. We're not, we're not developing fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ because there's a grocery list of things we're supposed to do, right? No, we're called to develop authentic followers of Christ, that means you can come with your messed up, broken self, not know what's going on, be saved by Christ and the gospel. Now, what's the gospel? Jesus is God. He died on the cross for our sins. He bodily rose from the dead. And through that salvation, God is going to conform us or to transform us into the image of his son, Jesus Christ. Right? Isn't that wonderful? And so, basically, as Christ is changing us, he's calling us to do good works. We're going to look at that here at the very, very end. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, he says that God has created us in Christ Jesus for good works. Okay? But that's after the fact that Christ has saved us and transformed us. We don't do good works to save ourselves. We do good works because we're saved. Okay? So we love Christ so much. It's like my wife. Like I help her do, I do the dishes or something. It's not because, you know, it's my duty. No, I do it because I love my wife. And out of that love for my wife, I do things that I don't really like to do. You know? And so it's the dishes or whatever. Why? Because... I want this to be who I am. I want it to be based upon the character that God is working in me. So, two sections, and I want to go through the first section quickly, and then we're going to get into the second section. Verses 1 through 12 here of Exodus chapter 18. Jethro comes to Moses. Moses has two sons. And Moses and his father-in-law, so Moses sends, so think about this, so Moses sends his wife and two sons to live with his father-in-law because he's doing something pretty dangerous. He's getting all of the Israelites out of Egypt, out of slavery, you know, about the plagues and all of those things. And, and Moses now is reunited with his wife and he's reunited with his father-in-law and he's reunited with his sons. And all of a sudden, Moses, and if you're taking notes, write this down, is testifying and recounts for Jethro all that the Lord has done. See, before we do, I think sometimes we ought to reflect on what he's done. Okay? Testifying of what the Lord has done. Now, who's at the center of your life story? Is it you or is it Christ? 
Who's the hero of your story? Is it you or is it Christ? See, Moses testifies to Jethro, and Jethro doesn't say, Whoa, Moses, you're incredible. I'm going to build you an altar. I'm going to testify and tell everybody what a great person you are. No, what does he say in verse 11 here of of Exodus 18? Now I know that the Lord is greater than all gods because in this day they dealt arrogantly with the people. Moses tells the story of what God has done to Jethro and God is the hero of the story, the deliverer, and Jethro believes And Jethro is excited about God. Let me share something that we kind of lose in our churches today. We don't take enough time, and I hope you're doing this in your small groups, and maybe you should do this today and this week in your small groups. Why don't you just go around and testify of one God thing that happened in your life? Like, I didn't have a job, and we prayed, and then God provided the job. Let me share with you one of the things that God did in my life, in my wife's life. So my wife and I, we were, I was a senior pastor, and we were starting a church in Florida, and we didn't have any money, okay? Because <laughs> pastors are rich, right? <laughs> no. So we didn't have any money, and we're coming into the Christmas season, and we had just enough money to be able to pay our bills, and that was it, and it was barely enough, Okay? Lots of beans and rice, okay? And we are, we are constantly, so we're praying and God's meeting every single one of my needs and God, just, just, just write what we need, okay? And my wife is saying, do we have any extra money for Christmas? Now, I was working so hard and we're coming up to Thanksgiving and I'm like, I don't even know how we're going to do Thanksgiving and, and we've got Christmas coming up and how is this going to happen? And, and she's like, man, let's just go to the Lord in prayer and let's ask the Lord to help us. I said, go for it, baby. You pray. Okay? Because here's the deal. At that point, I had, we, we, I mean, we were tapped out. We just don't know what to do, right? So my wife prays. And two weeks later, we get a check in the mail, okay? We get a letter, and it's from some friends of ours. And they said, hey, we've just been praying for you. We know that you're pastor. We know it's tough. We just wanted to send you this for the holidays, and Merry Christmas, and I hope you have a great Thanksgiving, and we're just thankful for you and your ministry. This was like, I hadn't seen them, heard from them in like years. And I come in, and I go, you're never going to guess what? We got a check. This is incredible. Guess how much it's for? She's like, 600 bucks. I'm like, how did you know? She's because that's what I was praying for from the Lord for Christmas. That doesn't always work like that, but I'm going to testify to you to the fact that God cares about the small things sometimes. Amen. And God gave that to my wife because my wife needed that because she was struggling in that moment. And it's interesting, God gives us right what we need when we need it. And we need to testify of what the Lord has done. And sometimes, let me share something with you. There's other times that I've prayed and and I haven't gotten it. There's certain other times that I've prayed and it hasn't worked out the way that I thought it should work out. But we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. It doesn't work out the way that I think it should. And sometimes he doesn't answer the prayers the way that I think they should. 
But I'm here to tell you, church, we need to testify of the things that God has done when he does it in a way that, that will encourage people. And even when we can't even understand it, still testify of the goodness of God for our salvation. If God gave us nothing else, isn't the gift of eternal life enough, church? Shouldn't we be testifying of what he's done and communicating to everyone? No, God saved me. Yeah, my life is a train wreck, and God saves me. And he's making me new. And he's conforming me into the image of his son, Jesus Christ. And Moses is telling this story, and he's not the hero of the story. It's God. And Jethro sees it, hears it, and goes, man, God. And here's the question that I have for us this morning. Who is there in your life that you can share of the mighty works of God? Who is it? Write a name right there. There's a little question. Write it down. You can write it down in pen, pencil, lipstick, mascara, whatever. Write it down. Who are you going to share this week and testify of the goodness of God? Well, God hasn't done anything for me. Okay, the fact that you live in the richest country in the world, he has done something for you. I could take you on missions trips all overseas and I could show you things that you would be shocked at the way people are living. And God hasn't done anything for you? We are blessed. And we don't say it enough to thank the Lord for who he is and what he's done and to testify of his goodness. We've got to share this. Because God is alive and well and he's working amongst us. And, some, and, and most people don't even know him. I was talking to a friend of mine. He's a pastor in California. And he was talking, and he was talking to this guy who's about 23 years old. And, and the guy goes, man, you're so happy. He goes, why are you so happy? And he says, well, it's not really happy. It's just joy. And he goes, well, okay, how do you get it? I want it. He goes, well, Jesus Christ has saved me. And he goes, who's that? Who's that? You see, he's, now he's just in line, checking out at Whole Foods, and he's talking to this guy, and the guy doesn't even know who Jesus is, but it's the smile on his face that draws him, and they carry on a conversation, and he gets to tell him about Jesus. Church, we have the greatest message. And there are people that have never heard it, and they're looking. They're searching. They're searching to feel special when God has already made them special, Psalm 139. And so they're trying all these different things to bring satisfaction in their life. And it's just up to us to testify and we see that Moses is testifying of God. Jethro rejoices and believes. Now, next day, second section. Here is the tapering. Jethro instructs 
Moses on leadership care. Now, or unsolicited advice from your father-in-law. I love my father-in-law. He gives me advice. Sometimes it's solicited. Sometimes, most of the time, it's not. He's a wonderful man. And here's the deal. Every time he shares something with me, I listen. You know why? Because I want to be teachable. There's a couple of characteristics here that I want you to see. When God starts to taper us and to prepare us for the good works that he has for us, sometimes he starts to pull some things back out of our lives. He kind of removes some things. And sometimes it takes somebody to share it. But there's two characteristics that we're supposed to have here that Moses has. The first one is humility. The second one is teachability. And if you're taking notes, and these are in your life, one of the things... Humility is this, this attitude that, you know what, God's the hero of the story. We can see that here in the first part because Jethro's testifying to God, not Moses. And then the next day, he's teachable because he doesn't rebuke Jethro and go, do you know who I am? I'm Moses. I'm the one that brought the plagues on Egypt. Can I get a witness? Ha! You know? I'm the one that, that took, the, took the staff and I drove it into the ground and the Red Sea parted. You know who I am? I'm the one who God talked to from the burning bush. You know, he, he didn't do that. He's the one that took his staff and struck the rock and water came. He's the one that held up his, his arms and, and brought a great victory in a battle with the Amalekites. It's Moses. And his father-in-law, who just believed in God, is now going to give him some advice. And Moses listens to it and humbles himself and actually does it. So that, if you look at Exodus 19, and I don't want to spoil it for next week, so that Moses then can go up to the mountaintop and be with God. He was humble and he was teachable. He, he learned and received all that Jethro wanted to say. How teachable are you? Well, of course, I'm going to learn from people that I respect. And, and No, how, how teachable are you? Teachability is not the source as much as it's the, the recognition that God uses anyone and everything to teach us, to conform us into the image of his son, Jesus Christ. Do you know my five and three-quarter-year-old son, he teaches me? Why do I call him five and three-quarters? Because my son, he counts everything until he turns six, because he's the youngest. In fact, and I, I think I shared this, but he, we were at Battery Park and we're going through the process and I have my little son with me and this lady comes up to him and he goes, I bet I can tell you how old you are. And he's like, she's like, you're five, aren't you? And he goes, nope. I'm five and a half. She was totally dead wrong, right? Because six months is a lot to a five-year-old, right? That's a big portion of his life. I learn from him. I learn from him. God teaches me through my son. 
and what he says to me. If it's, do we understand that all truth is God's truth, regardless of the source? And if we have eyes to see and ears to hear, and we're open to the things that God wants to teach us, and we're humble, he's going to teach us even through sinful examples. Even through things that maybe aren't even, like, what? what? And so stop hardening your heart and open your life up and say, God, I, I want to learn, and I want to be teachable, and I want to grow. I want to grow. I'm a pastor here at this church, and I want to grow, and you can teach me because I don't know everything there is to know. I don't. I mean, for me to be so arrogant to think that I know even 1% of the world's information, how arrogant is that? I know nothing. I have a PhD means piled higher and deeper, but, um, and I, and, and when I'm done, when I was done with my studies, I felt like I knew less than when I started, because there's so much I don't know, and so Moses humbled himself and listened to Jethro. Now, what was Jethro's advice? Recruit, equip, and train new leaders to lead Israel. And stop doing it all. It, it's important that you understand this. And this is the, in regards to the elder process. And the, how do you become a leader in the church? I'm going to transfer this real quickly. It's not because you can lead thousands or fifties or tens or hundreds and tens. No. Jethro told Moses, moreover, look for able men from the people, men who fear God who are trustworthy and hate a bribe and place such men over the people. And all of them have different gifts, and so put them according to their abilities. God talks about that. To some, he gave one talent and three talents, five talents, ten talents. But Moses needed to recruit, equip, and train new leaders to lead Israel. You know the Bible has the great commandment, which is love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul, right? Love your neighbors yourself. You know that the great commandment. There's the great commission. Go and make disciples, right? Baptize in them, Matthew 28, 19, 20. And then the last one, does anybody know what the great completion is? It's Ephesians 4, 11 through 13. This is what completes the church. It's that God gives spiritual gifts to leaders in the church, and it's their job to not do the ministry, but it's their job to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry so that the body of Christ is built up. They're not the ministers, they're the administers. You're the ministers. It's not my job to do the ministry. It's my job to help you and to serve you and to equip you to be able to do the ministry. That's why we're campusing. I think that's why God's calling us to campus because we want to administrate more gospel outposts all over Hampton Roads and Virginia and the world. And we can't do it. Moses couldn't do it. In fact, from sunup, it says from sunup to sundown, they didn't even get in a line. They just kind of like pressed into him. And he just dealt with them. He sat there and just told people what to do. 
And this is how you resolve it. And Jethro sees this and says, this isn't good, Moses. Because Moses was taking more and more on himself. We've had a savior for over 2,000 years, church. You can't replace him. But some of you aren't even trying. All of you, if you are saved, God has given you an ability. And all you got to do is become available to use that ability. We'll train you. Ephesians 4, 11 through 13, it's, it's our job to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry so the body of Christ is built up. It's like the, that chariots of fire, man, that story when the guy's running and everything. And, and he says, man, when I run, I feel God's pleasure. When you're serving in the way that God has created you, you should feel God's pleasure and doing what God's called you to do. We connect, we grow, we serve in ministry and in mission. We can't do it all. We're going to Williamsburg. We're at Battery Park. There's some, I, I really believe there's going to be some more campuses that God's going to give us. And guess what? We can't do it all. It's up to us to link arms and to share in this. Moses gave away the responsibility that others could do. Every time, every year I make a to-do list, beginning of the year of the things I need to do, and at the same time I make a stop-do list because I can't do it all. My encouragement to you is to get the to-do list and then look and say, what are the things that I'm doing that others can do? Here's the question, what has the Lord called you to do in ministry that only you can do? What do you need to stop doing so that you can start doing more of that only? That you can do for God. See, I love, there's so much I want to share and I, and I don't have time, but as I'm looking at this passage of scripture, he basically says, you decide for yourselves all the small things, and then I'll take all the big things, okay? It's kind of like my marriage with my wife. My wife and I, we agreed at the beginning of our marriage that she would answer all the, take care of all the small things, and I would just be brought in for the big things. You know, I've been married 23 years, and we've never had any big things in our marriage ever. Because <laughs> um, she handles it all. Abilities, guys, abilities. There's abilities here. Moses chose able men, verse 25, of all Israel and made them heads over people. And they judged the people at all times. And all the hard cases came to Moses. God has prepared you, called you. And if you're here today and you're a Christian and you're not serving in the body of Christ, we are incomplete. It'd be like having a body part that doesn't work. God is at work. Are you sharing all that he has done in your life with others? Are you teachable to learn that God has created you to do good works that only you can do?
I want to I share this quickly. There's a guy named Howard Hendricks. He was a um, professor at Dallas Theological Seminary for years and years and years. Wrote a lot of books. One of the books is one of my favorite, one of my, one of my top 10 books of all time, Teaching to Change Lives. But one of the things he wrote is he wrote about how it all began for him. And one of the things that he book, wrote in this book, Iron Sharpens Iron, was about a guy who was a Sunday school teacher when he was in elementary school, Walt. Walt had a second grade education and he was the janitor at the local elementary school. He gets saved and he decides he's going to go to the church and he felt like that God had called him to disciple little boys. And in discipling these boys, he comes to the church and says, I, I want to, I want to get some, take some boys and I want to teach them. And they said, that's great, Walt. No one's really going to want to come to your class, so you're going to have to recruit your own boys and we're going to give you this broom closet to clean out and then you can have that as your classroom. So Walt cleaned out the classroom undeterred and he went out into the streets and he found street kids that nobody really wanted. One of them was a guy named Howard Hendricks. And he played marbles. And he beat all the kids. Because Walt had a second grade education and he was the janitor at the elementary school. And Walt got 10 boys to his Sunday school class. And for years, he took these 10 boys and discipled them. And in fact, when he said, hey, I want you to come to Sunday school with me, Howard Hendricks recounts the fact that he says, anything with school in it, I didn't want to do. But because Walt asked me, I decided I was going to do it. Some of us are afraid here, but let me share something. They don't, they don't, they don't need our ability. Cast out your fear because perfect love casts out fear. How about you just love somebody? But he loved these 10 boys. These 10 boys, he writes go on to become professors and presidents at universities and congressmen and generals. All ten of these boys. Because some guy that got saved decided he was going to make some disciples. And no one would give him any. And so he went and got his own. And they wouldn't even give him a room, so he cleans out the broom closet. And he decides, I'm going to pour my life into these 10 kids. And these 10 kids go on to do things for the gospel that Walt could have only dreamed of. He would stay on them for their schoolwork because discipleship is not just spiritual, it's holistic. Don't disciple somebody without talking to them about their private life, their marriage, all the things, their jobs. Holistic discipleship. He had a second grade education, and he says he remembers in eighth grade he would turn the papers into Walt because Walt wanted to see their homework. And Walt couldn't even read that stuff very well, and he would look, and he would go, it looks okay, do it again. And we didn't know. We just did it again. Because God called Walt to take his tin. And he weighed in on these 10, and those 10 did more for the gospel. Let me share something with you, church. Who are your disciples? Who are the people that you're pouring into? One day, the Bible says that we're going to stand before God. And God's going to look at us. I really believe this. 
Remember, he said, go and make disciples, right? And I think he's going to look at us and he's going to say, who are your disciples and what are their names? That's the well done, thou good and faithful servant, because he called us to go and make disciples. He set the example for us for three years. He had 12 guys, loses one, Judas. There's hope for us, right? You're going to have a few Judases. But that doesn't keep us inactive. Jesus made disciples that made disciples that made disciples. Don't make a disciple, make a disciple maker. That's when you know you've completed it. When they're going and making disciples. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. Go ahead and bring it up and then we're done. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand. He's already prepared the good works beforehand. Guess what? You don't even need to go find them. He's got them. That we should walk in them. Workmanship, that word in Greek is pomia. I love the word because it's where we get the word poetry. And it says that we are God's poetry. He's writing us. We're a beautiful poem, already written for good works. And it's just up to us to say, you know what? I'll be a Walt. I'll sign up. I don't even know what I'm doing, but I'll sign up. We'll train you. I'll go to, I'll go to Battery Park. I don't even know where it is, but I'll go. I'll go to Williamsburg. I'll go wherever God wants me to go. Do whatever God wants me to do. That's what the gospel calls us to. As he's conforming us in the image of his son, Jesus Christ, the good works are what we do. Let's pray. Precious Father, I just thank you for every person here. I pray, Lord God, in the name of Jesus, that you would change us and transform us. I pray, Lord God, there's somebody here that doesn't know the gospel. I pray, Lord God, that today they would repent of their sins. They would believe the message of the gospel. They would receive you into their life. I pray if somebody needs prayer and they're hurting, I pray that they would come up under the screens to pray with the people, Father, that are there. They go to the prayer chapel, Lord God. God, move us to action. Help us not to be hearers of the word only, but help us to be doers. Lord, you know us, you love us. You've created good works for us beforehand, Lord. So God, help us just to show up. And God, and help us to be able to do the works that you've given to us, Lord God, that you've prepared. Thank you that we're your pomia. We love you and thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.